Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Steven. I'm Brad. And I'm Mike. Mike is not here. Mike is doing something. Mike's I just heard him. Mike's working at Fuse. Mike's working at Fuse. Hey. So. I, think his, I think his series of shows is called Absolute. I don't know if they're out yet, but that's what he's working on. Cool. Not sponsored by the vodka. Oof. <laughs> uh, so today I'm going off track. I'm just jumping right into it. Go for yeah, it, man. Go for it. Who's uh, here? It's today, all your game. I don't want to argue with you about it. I want. I don't want to have a dispute. <laughs> As you may have guessed from Stevens' lead-in, today we have on Adam Bass, who plays bass in a band called La Dispute. It's not often that anybody gets the pun over you. No, were it's you not. Pla- were you planning it? Did you have something? No, I actually wasn't. Okay, right on. Um. But Adam, I met um, on the last United Nations tour with Pianos Become the Teeth. Adam often tour manages pianos when he's not on tour. And he was kind of the guy in charge. And right now, you can catch Adam in La Dispute and Pianos Become the Teeth are opening. Oh, wow. So you can harass all of those guys. It's kind of a one-two punch of it is thrashing rock. Yes. And La Dispute also has a new record that just came out called Rooms of the House. And if you don't have it yet, you should, because it is an incredible album. We will have a link up for where you can get it right here on the website. Yes. And me and Adam is also a big wrestling enthusiast. He is an artist. He has a lot of stuff going on outside of the band. So um, we talked about a lot of that stuff. So you sat here and talked about wrestling and I wasn't in the room. I don't, this, this podcast was all blur because I feel like I've spent so much time talking to Adam on the road, but I mean, they're definitely like, I remember being like, are you afraid to die? Like, I feel like it gets pretty, we think we get pretty weird and then bring it back and talk about wrestling. As well you should. So if you want to just an emotional roller coaster, tune in for the next hour. If you don't like listen to like pop radio or whatever (laughs) dumb songs on. Welcome to Going Off Track. Today we're joined by Adam Vass, artist, bassist in La Dispute, and coffee enthusiast. <laughs> Hello. How's it going, man? It's going well, because I'm drinking some coffee. <laughs> yes. Uh, Adam stayed in my house last night, and we watched a Fallout Boy concert from Brooklyn Bowl with my roommate. <laughs> Very exciting. Nice. Yes. Um, so, Adam also is very into wrestling. Yeah, we're going straight there, huh? Yeah, I mean, listen, let's just get, let's just get into it. This is what everyone wants to know about. Um, Are you guys going to wrestle? I don't know. I could teach you a thing or two. How would oh, yeah, out? Adam, actually, I did. I remember you, you actually know how to kind of do the moves, right? Yeah, uh, my best friend goes to a wrestling school, the New England Professional Wrestling Academy. And uh, he and I watch it every week together. And almost every week after the show ends, he's like, let me kick you in the chest as hard as I can. I'm like, all right. And we just take turns kicking each other in the chest. Or he'll teach me, like, this is how you're supposed to hit somebody, you know, to not bust their nose or something like that. So st- stupid little things that I've picked up from watching it for years and from him. And then I go on tour with a bunch of people who don't know or care about wrestling. And we'll be loading on gear and I'll, like, pretend to kick somebody in the gut. Sometimes... Just like they think I kicked them, even though they don't feel the pain, they heard the sound and they saw the movement and a bunch of people who are not uh, prepared for that get brought into the world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a signature move or anything? 
I'm a manager. I want to be a manager. Okay. I want to be wearing a red, white, and blue suit, head to toe. Uh, I want to have a stack of money that I'm just constantly counting. Oh, I, I've like planned this out. I'm ready. Yeah. So when when Ku, who's my friend, when he has his first match, I'm gonna be ringside counting money. If he wins, I'm just gonna give a subtle nod of approval and walk out, not say anything. If he loses, spike the wad of money on the ground, walk out, still no, still say nothing, and I'll be this enigmatic managerial figure until someday when I'm ready to reveal my uh, my whole plan to do whatever with my money. Nice. That part I got to work out still. Yeah, yeah. You got time. <laughs> so can I envision this suit? You said a suit. Do you mean like a suit and tie? Maybe yeah, a three-piece yeah, yeah. suit? Nice. I like the three-piece idea, but it's got to be royal blue jacket and pants, red vest, white shirt, American nice. flag, uh, tie or American flag pin on the lapel, kind of going with that. I can, shit. I can see this. Yeah, <laughs> not that. Can you please describe the terrifying outfit you woke up next to me in in Orlando, which was kind of similar to this? <laughs> in the same vein, it was a head to toe skin suit that was red and white stripes, <laughs> except for my right arm, which was royal blue with white stars screen printed on it, and including my face was covered with the red and white stripes so literally head to toe no exposed skin what? and uh it was what was we f- were staying at the nickelodeon hotel in orlando oh this and i woke trend. up and it was terrifying <laughs> yeah, I, I was like I, spooning with, with was there fun- i didn't even know who it was was there a function of this it was suit? halloween but we didn't do anything for halloween it was like a skin tight <laughs> suit that covered your face yeah um where did you get it? I ordered it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the studio. Of course you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> for a couple weeks until that tour. And it was just like, I'm in the studio for 10, 12 hours a day. Sometimes I just end up on Amazon. Like, what goofy thing should I get? And I was I was on an Amazon Prime uh, trial membership. So I could get anything I wanted in two days. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, let me get this American flag skin tight suit spandex suit and i'm like did it i did the same thing with uh our manager kirk we had a skype with him and i just kept like casually showed up on the computer screen in american flag suit he was unfazed though he didn't react the way that you did which is the <laughs> ideal reaction well, it's a little bit scarier in person oh when- absolutely <laughs> um even i don't like it like seeing a mirror or something yeah being reminded that i'm wearing it although in a way it's like fully escapism like there's no part of me left i'm just this american flag personified i like very animated i'm a cartoon in the real world i'm like almost like that (laughs) i'm like not even there i'm watching it all happen through that character's eyes can you see out of it barely you can never play a, a show in it, huh? I mean, it covers your eyes too. It covers my eyes. It covers my fingers. Oh my God, it, like there's, it's every part of your body is covered. It has to be really taut. Like you have to pull it on your face. So like compress your nose against your face just to see through it adequately. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad time <laughs> for everyone involved, really. But uh, at least now I know I won't buy any more. Yeah, skin suits. It's good for Halloween. <laughs> Or Fat Mike. Well, that's an interesting. Or Fat Mike. <laughs> that's an interesting thing about Adam, though. Like when you're not, I feel like most people when they're not on tour with their band, like they want to be home. Like you, you go out with bands, become the teeth a lot. Yeah. Kind of TM, do merch. Like, do you like just being on the road even if you're not playing? 
I used to do every band that would ask. Like, um, I went out. Touche Amore had a tradition where they would like stay at my place on the tour and dare me, like, to go on the rest of the tour. And sometimes it was a week, and sometimes it was a month. And I'd be like, uh, "All right, I'll go get my backpack." Like, just I don't have anything to do for the next week. I'll go with you guys, whether I was working or just pretending to work and just hanging out. And then. I must have worked for like ten friends bands in three years just to be there uh in whatever vicinity now I only do pianos um because I think i I actually have a job I actually play a role in their dynamic, whereas all the rest of the time it was just for fun and when I'm at home i don't I have like six friends and it gets boring really quickly, so tours kind of an excuse to escape that boredom whether it's for work or pretend to work it's like being a superhero yeah being on tour. it all goes back to wearing the suit <laughs> i mean when do you get your ideas for your kind of art stuff is that on the road or when you're home or for you mean like visual stuff yeah that um i, I would say it's like more spontaneous i just i kind of pick up well I've done a couple tours where I'm drawing a ton, but it usually means that I'm not working as much. Um, and then vice versa, if there's a tour that's really busy, I'm doing stuff every day, I don't really draw. It's almost uh, just a matter of convenience when I get to do it. And like I said, when I'm home, I have nothing to do, so that's when I'm usually the most productive in doing visual stuff. And I have all my tools at my desk and stuff. It's kind of hard to paint when I'm on tour. So just yeah. doodle. Have you always been interested? Like what came first, the music or oh, the drawing? Drawing for sure. Uh, since I was a little kid, like drawing with crayons in church. Because you're not paying attention when you're a kid anyway. And uh, <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Like the six-year-old, he's not compelled by en- English. He doesn't understand. No. So, and especially if there's crayons about Like it doesn't matter. It, anything could be happening if there's crayons around i don't know maybe that was just me <laughs> <laughs> trust me it's not just you <laughs> so that going into school like middle school high school taking art classes and uh i've always until like, i guess recently considered myself a visual artist and not a musician um and i would just when i was in my later teens who and i was i could play music but didn't chase it but i would do work for my friends who were in bands design work and stuff like t-shirts or whatever then always somehow ended up in their band it was this weird tradition from when i was like 17 till i joined lot of spute that i would do i would do work for a band and i wasn't very uh i didn't have a huge workflow so I'd, i would work for like one or two bands a year but then I would do the, the work and then eventually weasel my way into being a member of that band. <laughs> it happened like four times. <laughs> and uh, and that, I'm um, here. I never thought I, you know, uh, here being in a band full time and the visual stuff is kind of the hobby. Never never planned it to be that way. Never foresaw that happening. Have a, having a weird identity crisis now, thinking about it for in depth for like one of the first times. Well, it's good that you've got fine art as a fallback for music, you know. It's always smart. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You should get a philosophy degree, too. Maybe. Just really 
I did. I went to school for. I didn't get one. I didn't get a degree. I went to school <laughs> and took a ton of philosophy. Was super interested in it, but uh, I only was going to school as a guys to join our band right. and relocate to be a member of that band. So I never gave a shit about. Can we curse on this? Yes, absolutely. I never gave a shit about school. And I should have asked that earlier. Please and, do. <laughs> um, so I just was interested in it and didn't care to pursue it any further. Um, so maybe I can always go back, get that philosophy degree, get the home, the triple threat of things that no one makes a career of. <laughs> how, so how did you weasel your way into a lot of dispute? Um, and how can I, I do it? Because I think they, you guys are awesome. Thank you. They were a band before I was in it. And uh, the band that I was in at the time, I was I was 18 or 19 maybe. Um, we were from Indiana where I grew up and uh, a lot of disputes from Michigan just two or three hours away from where I grew up. So we ended up playing shows together because there was this weird uh, line of a scene from like Western Michigan to Chicago that everyone was kind of a part of if you were geographically around and uh so we'd play shows together became friends would go like do laser tag and dumb stuff and play shows on the weekend because everyone was still in school so it was just like friday and saturday come back sunday kind of deal um through that i got to know that their bass player was going to be leaving and i was a singer of a band at the time but that band we were also we were just like waiting to break up like, I punched our drummer on tour, and we were still a band. I think... Where'd you hit now, him? It's kind of like... I hit him in the side of the head. That okay. happens a lot, it was, He was sitting next to me mild, man, too. on the bench seat, so, like, couldn't really couldn't really pick a place. It was just wherever I were could. Were you <laughs> testing out a wrestling move, or did you no, need this, to hit him? Actually, this was in a... Well, no, I was still into wrestling, but not the way I am now. Okay. I just straight up hit him, because I didn't, I didn't like him. Okay. None of us did. That was just a, well, that's a long story. And, um, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I guess that's I like the we've all, all been bottom line. We all have a version of this story. <laughs> so that band I knew was going to break up. I was just kind of, we were all just kind of like waiting for the ball to drop, I guess. And then uh, I also knew that a lot of people was looking for a bass player, which is what I considered myself. Like, even though I was the front man of this band, it was, I don't know how I ended up there. Well, I did designs for their band, and that's how I ended up there. So I just was like, I need to strategically place myself in the right place at the right time to be invited to be a member of this band. And then so I moved to Michigan. I was sitting next to our guitar player, Chad, in sociology class, who he didn't know that I was doing this, but I knew, like, obviously. Um, and I would go out, and like, sure enough, when that dude quit the band, I was next in line, and it just worked out. So and where, then that where was in Indiana. In, are you from? I'm from Valparaiso, What's so that? northwest. Um, oh, okay, it's just southeast of Gary, right? Um, greater Chicagoland area. Yeah, cool. When everyone talks about Indiana, I grew up in Cleveland. Like, and everyone just talks about Murder by Death. I know we're yeah, from Bloomington or something. Not super close to where I'm from. Okay, um, they're from like real Indiana. So you, guys, so you guys are were pretty you're pretty grow pretty close to Detroit. No, uh, I, close I, to I also, Chicago. I'm horrible right? at geography. No. So you can do, you're near Bermuda. It's really close to Chicago. Close yeah, to I was, Chicago. I was okay. close to Chicago. We got Chicago TV stations, Chicago radio, that sort okay. of thing. Gotcha. Um, Detroit, super far. Even the rest of my band has some weird um, 
attachment to Detroit, but they're still three hours away. Well, isn't I feel like your band is so confusing because like everyone lives in like a different place pretty much. Now, right? now we do. Okay. I mean, before when we when we started, our drummer, our singer, our cousins, uh, Brad the drummer and Jordan our singer. Brad knew Kevin, one of our guitar players from school, and knew Derek, who was the original other guitar player, who's our guitar player Chad's older brother. Um, they knew him from school. So they all knew each other, and I was I didn't know them obviously until much later. Um now we're all over the place. Like we lived they all lived in the same house for a while. And I had a key to it, but I didn't live there. I would just like pop in and out whenever I wanted, which was cool. Now uh Brad's in Australia, I'm in Boston, I got a dude in Detroit, and two of the guys are still left in uh West Michigan. Wow. That's so it's been like a wild ride. The band has exploded and spewed <laughs> everybody far and wide. I think once we got to a point where we were touring so much that it didn't matter where you lived, yeah. I was like, I don't like living here in yeah. in the Midwest. Uh, and I left. I've lived in the same place in Boston ever since then, which has been three or four years now. Um, and I think I was kind of the catalyst for other people to realize, like, you can do whatever, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is great. I think everyone's kind of falling into their own now, whatever that may be, may be for them. That's cool. Brooklyn, man. <laughs> Australia is quite a hike, though. Yeah. You guys, have you guys toured over there a lot because of that? Yeah, not because of that, um, just coincidentally. We've been four times, I think. Okay. Um, and he met his wife over there, I think the third time we went, or second I don't know. I get them all mixed up. But uh, maybe we've been five times. I don't know. <laughs> been, uh, so, But last time we went was because of him. He got married there. Ah. Um, so she's Australian as well. She, yeah. yeah. So they got married there and we're like, uh, do we want to pay $1,000 a person to go see our friend get married? Or do we want to play <laughs> some shows? And it just happens that they got married. And that's what what happened. And it was awesome because otherwise that's a, a big cost to just yeah. like hang, hang out with your friends i mean yeah. we probably all still would have done it honestly but so how did it work you like we're gonna play this show tonight but like don't step too late because <laughs> i'm getting married tomorrow <laughs> the wedding was actually uh the beginning of the trip so we flew in had a couple like two days off so you something. guys were the honeymoon the tour was the honeymoon yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's been so romantic yeah uh i'm sure that his wife really appreciated <laughs> just rushing out the door and going to play for a couple weeks. But she came uh, at the end of the tour. I'm going to get punished for not remembering. I want to say we were in Melbourne. And okay. that's not where they live. So she came out to the end, so they met up. And then like the rest of us flew home. He stayed there. I'm sure that that was when they actually celebrated. <laughs> when now they your were idiot at- American <laughs> friends are gone. <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome. Um, so I want to talk about the new record because I think when we release this, um, it will be out. Okay. And uh, I know Rooms of the House, um, I know you did the art for it. And I think the art is really interesting. And I was wondering if maybe you could just talk a little bit about what your kind of process was because I know you were working on it, you know, even before the album was completed. Or- yeah. Um, well, the end result, I ended up working with my friend Amanda, who 
You think you know? I don't know. Uh, Amanda Adams. She's Mike York's fiance. Oh, I'm not sure if I've met her, but that's awesome. So, uh, I'll get to that also, how I ended up working with her. But Shout I, out to Mike York. Yeah. he. I hope he's listening. Me too. <laughs> he's my true friend if he is listening, and he's a total jerk if he's not. Agreed. <laughs> um, so, we were writing last April in this cabin that was like in the middle of nowhere, which is the easiest way for the five of us to get together on common ground and work because of how geographically spaced we are um and this was when we were trying to figure out what the record was going to be and we had some kind of really broad idea but all the all the riffs that we brought into the studio didn't get used and everything um that did get used ended up kind of coming out of the whole experience so it was very formative in that way towards the end of that when we were starting to get a more real um, mental picture of what the record was and how it sounded and that sort of thing. So and I was brainstorming uh, what I wanted to do to, visually. And I kind of did the same thing on the last record where it wasn't quite finished, but I had this idea and I could shape the idea once once we knew more, but it helps me to get an early start. And that way also I can change things if I want. I have more time and I like to just kind of sit on stuff and see what I think about it sometime later. Um, so I had all this reference drawn up or like collected of interior photography, like, um, literally rooms of people's houses. And then all these layouts of, uh, like old baseball tickets and I don't know, just all the stuff that I thought was visually compelling and then trying to, uh, collect it all into some kind of cohesive idea and the the record cover um ended up being this collaboration with amanda because i just couldn't see myself doing what i wanted to do by myself i just didn't see i saw the beginning saw the end and i didn't see the path to get from a to b and i needed to enlist some help and she helped me a lot in executing certain things I wasn't sure how to execute. Um, all, all the photography on the interior, well, all the photography in the record she did, and I just treated it digitally. Um, the images on the front cover, there's like a collection of different images that relate to some themes on the record, whether they're overt or obscure, and if they're big or small. Their collective curation being one of the greater themes on the record um, about how a single object might not have meaning, but an object in context can have, can be like loaded, you know, with memories or stories or uh, anything by its curation or by its uh, association with other things. So that was an idea that I wanted to do represent visually. And she also helped me with that, the arrangement of everything, some of the, um, some of the images that are in the frames she did and some I did my own, on my own and we just hammered it out together. I was lucky actually it was after the tour you and I were on together that I was in Baltimore and I got to physically be there and help um, guide certain things, look through the camera lens before the, the shutter goes off, that sort of thing, which I uh, appreciated that level of involvement with. So... It was awesome, and I also don't 
often work with other artists. So it was an experience for me to uh, grow and learn a little bit, something that I'm not super familiar with. Definitely. One thing I thought was cool, I don't want to put words in Jordan's mouth, but kind of building on what you said, like the way objects can also kind of change in meaning. Yeah. Um, He asked that I not speak too much about, for the same reason I don't want to put words in his mouth, about specifics. But uh, when he first contacted me about um, some of those ideas, it was shortly after I'd gone through a breakup that I handled very poorly and like fell into this depression spiral and I would find the girl's bobby pins in my bedroom that sort of thing and it's like this is a bobby pin it's this thing that serves some purpose uh whatever but this particular one you know like it was hers I remember when she left it there like all these crazy associations that you have with objects whether they're intentional or not and whether the object itself is important which obviously is not right. in this case. Um, and he goes into specifics on the record with certain objects that recur over the course of the record, tie certain things together and kind of take the listener on that like time travel kind of experience that I was going through at the time. So uh, I was really excited when I found out because it was something that I could understand and relate to. And obviously as a member of a collective working thing uh sometimes you don't get that but i'm i was way more behind it once i i could understand it you know and hopefully as a listener that's a thing that happens too when they're when they can relate to something it has more power to it definitely i mean to me a lot of dispute like i, I hate like when bands are described as like like quote unquote like arty because I'm just like ugh this is going to be like pretentious like I feel like there's so many associations but I do feel like you guys do obviously you're an artist like everyone but you guys do come at it from like a very kind of deliberate way with like these kinds of ideas and concepts and representations visually lyrically I mean is it important to you not to just be like a band that plays heavy music or a band that just get, I mean to have that kind of behind it um it's always been something that I've really loved about our band and something that I, uh, uh, now I'm, I'm almost used to it because this is the third record that I've been a part of with the band and, uh, we've always done it to some degree. There's all these like crazy things that people don't realize we're doing too, like numerology where like the track listing will, will be laid out in a certain way so that like, like on somewhere, which is our first record, somewhere at the bottom of the river between Vega and Altair. So it's just somewhere. Uh, <laughs> dot dot dot. Um, there's 13 tracks, so that there's um, seven even numbered tracks. Is that correct? No, six. There's seven odd numbered tracks, and um, each even numbered track on the record has a part that's in seven eight time signature, and uh, the seventh track is also the fulcrum on the seesaw that is the record um all this stuff that we that we like come up with and whether people realize it or not we we get some weird kind of sick satisfaction out of it out of playing these games with ourselves and uh it's in the it's in wildlife a lot we have broken up into chapters which is a little bit more overt than somewhere was and in the new record which is less 
obvious than either one. There's a lot of correlations, little snippets that tie certain songs together in some messed up chronology. And uh, I've always thought about it as like where the the TV show Lost of bands. Like we, I've been planning stuff in the first episode that'll come back in the sixth season, and uh, I've always liked that game, like putting stuff in tour posters that appears in the record cover two years later. And so if you look, you know, there's all this crazy trail of hints and Easter eggs and whatever you want to call them. And if you don't care, you can still like the song, you know, you don't need that to make the experience for you. But um, it's always been something I've been super proud of. And I think we kind of feed on each other when we're doing it, Uh, like the number of games and stuff like that. Especially when I would write riffs and the numbers, like I would correspond numbers to chords and try to make weird like math equations. And even the other guys don't know that. I, I mean, some to some degree they do know that I do that, but it's almost just this crazy game. Like how how tiny can you make it, or how little can the clues be to still be present? <laughs> it's fun. Definitely. And I learned about you guys through kind of touring with Thursday and talking to Jeff. And I felt like they were a band, like especially Jeff kind of that did that, like on Full Collapse and stuff. They had a lot of numerology and a lot of stuff that I didn't pick up until like years later. And then I'd be like, hey, is this thing true? And he'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting when you don't realize that at the time. And then later you're like, wow. And it almost uh, reframes your perspective on the whole record or like your appreciation of it changes in a way. Uh I like that idea that someone can like it at face value or not like it, I don't care. And then have some different uh, perspective on it later that maybe invigorates their interest in it again. Imagine, you know, if your favorite record as a kid, you listen to it a million times and then it's not until years later that you hear this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You go back and revisit it and like find... Yeah, these Easter eggs. Totally. Yeah. But I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome too. But I think that your attitude is cool. And I think that's how Jeff's attitude is versus like the attitude of like, ugh, you don't get this. Like I'm you know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm operating on a level that you just can't understand. <laughs> uh I definitely It's very inclusive, I guess. Right. It doesn't bother me if people don't understand it. And even if like I'm saying this and people are gonna look for like weird things in the music or in the, the you know track layouts or whatever um and not find it like that's fine too you know the, some of the stuff is just games i play with myself and you're not really going to get anything out of it um well that's the thing it's the best you know the most authentic art is what you do for yourself and then oh, other agree. people appreciate so like yeah you're doing all these little things to keep it interesting for yourself yeah and that's why it's genuine it can it's not be, artsy. It's not artsy at all. It's like, it's artistic. Yeah. <laughs> That's an important distinction. Yeah. Sometimes on the first record, we had a lot of the numerology based in astrology. And that goes back to like a folk tale that the record, some of the songs on the record are like loosely based on. But with the new one, I was just, it was just like, yeah, me having a little bit of fun making riffs out of math. I was like, a super math kid when i was in school so i'm like still have some appreciation for that in a different way um so sometimes it's uh sometimes it's relative to the record sometimes it's not sometimes it's 
grasping at straws. <laughs> but uh, like you said, it keeps it fresh for me, and that's what I, that's why I was doing it. That's essential, man. That's cool. Yeah. Did you do that with the goops? No. <laughs> or you can drunk all the time. You just say yeah, and then people will look for it. They'll find their own, man. I do what? remember, like when I was really when I was younger, though, doing like making chord progressions that were kind of based on shapes, you know, like squares or whatever. I get. I know what you mean, like for sure. Yeah, because <laughs> I do that too. I have uh, no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> you mean like in this the way like things a, repeat or like no like you know like a one like a one four like where the frets are no just the way the chords fall on there okay you know like if you made like an A to a D and then went up to like B to an E that would be a square <laughs> okay <laughs> this is a pretty standard I mean there's probably a lot of songs that are written that way anyway but or A B D E. Also square. Interesting. <laughs> um, man, sorry, I'm just like picturing the like the, fret <laughs> the squares. Looking for the squares. All the squares. Now all I see are squares. All should we go get a guitar and, and write a triangle yes, song? We totally should do some triangle <laughs> material. So we were just. Um, I mean, how do you sort of, I, I, what I think it's really interesting is like, you know, we talk about music and it's like, obviously, like, I feel like you guys approach it from a very artistic intellectual thing, but then like, you also are really into like wrestling and these kinds of things that are very like, I, I won't say juvenile, but very like less like weighted, I guess. Like, do you I'll, like having that dichotomy or do you think there's a, a deep artistic side to this other stuff as well? Maybe I do. Yeah. Um, I think wrestling is a, is an art for sure. And Trying to explain it to people is always kind of this wild journey because depending this is on, a great opportunity, man. <laughs> depending on your level of or your preconceived notion of what wrestling is, it's going to affect what you think I think of wrestling. You know what I mean? So because there's different like different kinds of wrestling, like there's WWE, the big one, you know, but you can almost uh, relate that to like top forty. Like in music, and there's all okay. these other genres and artists, and like indie wrestling. Um, there's the guys who perform on the weekend in like high school gymnasiums for 20 people, which you know is like being in a band in a basement, and that's great. And they're doing something they love, probably for that reason, you know, not in the hopes of climbing whatever ladder. There's indie wrestling that uh, I think of it. I think of indie wrestling and, and like TV wrestling in two different ways where indie is kind of is like a performance art in the way that a burlesque would be or uh, in any kind of visual performance. There's a lot of improvisation. There's there's comedy. There's like everything. It takes you on a, a roller coaster, you know, of and when you know, I'm, I'm speaking mostly when it's good, when it's um, skillfully done. But it can it can elicit feelings the same way a song can, you know. The the good guy's getting hurt real bad, and you're you like sympathize, or you know if there's like the big guy is getting punched and you know doesn't even react. There's some comedy elements to it. You you feel things, which is I guess what the nature of art is. But professional wrestling on TV 
I like in kind of a trashy way the same way I you know they play top 40 at the gym and it kind of pumps me up a little bit like I know it's not that good and sometimes it can be very good but um a lot of the time it's just soapy and uh there's some nostalgic element to it obviously from being a kid when Stone Cold and The Rock were around and you know I still have those those statues of them built in my brain from years ago um but it's just another form to tell a story in the same way a song is the same way a painting is and uh while I don't always think about it that way sometimes it's it's fun to just watch it sometimes it's fun to just take yourself out of it or not examine it and just be like there's two dudes hitting each other all right right i guess what i struggle with is like maybe the issue of authenticity and the fact that like when you're playing a song you are doing something whereas with wrestling like it is a show in a way like you're not really connecting or maybe you are like to me like there's like a like a built premise where you're like listen like you know this is happening in this way we're gonna act like it's happening in this other way and there's an understanding and not that that's bad but it to me it's that puts it in a different context i guess they're kind of it almost requires a suspension of belief the same way watching a movie would right like you're not gonna go to see uh i don't know et and be like no there's no aliens dude (laughs) like you kind of have to accept that and once you do you find you find your appreciation of the form by the way, you are going to go see like a band playing TV or something, they're lip syncing anyway. You know, like right. that, you have to suspend that as well. Like you might not realize it or not, but a lot <laughs> of that is also completely fake. The, um, whether or not they're actually hurting one another isn't of importance to me. It's like the arc that it goes through that I yeah. really appreciate. And uh, especially when, like I was saying about indies, um, when there's some level of crowd involvement or when you can see them almost changing their game plan depending on how the people are reacting to it, that I think is really interesting. Um, almost the back and forth, how the audience can become a part of the whole thing. It's really cool. Yeah, see, I didn't realize that, that was a, there was any level of like improvisation or anything. I assumed it was everything was very well scripted. I it, guess it depends. Almost, well, what I know of it. Is the end? They they come out knowing the finish, like they know who's gonna win and how, and approximately maybe a time frame, and everything to get from point A to point end Z. Uh, they're coming up with on the fly. They're choreographing it um, with one another and with the referee and and stuff. And a lot of that is gonna be the result of how the audience is reacting to the certain things that they're doing. Um, the pacing of the match because you don't want to start off going on 11 and then run out of cool stuff to do, you know, five minutes before you're supposed to finish. So there's all these other factors that come into it. And that's where I think the true skill of a wrestler and I guess, uh, almost drawing parallels with being in a band, like you got to write a good set list. You're going to, the crowd's hopefully going to like this part, this part, this part, you know, you got to, play with them and not to them and that's uh one of the things i appreciate a lot about watching wrestling is seeing how they do that and then almost and then like drawing parallels to things that i do uh it's very gratifying and uh sometimes i like it trashy you know i don't care 
But when I can make that parallel, I think I feel really gratified as an artist, and I I respect them in another way, where I wouldn't go up to, uh, like a Daniel Bryan who's, an he grew up in the Indies and now he's like a huge wrestler in WWE. I wouldn't go up to him and like fan out so much. I would have like a a really profound appreciation for what he does because I think he does is very skillful and what he does he brings at uh, a level of regard that a lot of people don't have to a thing that people judge or like throw aside without really giving it a chance he makes it a thing that uh, is important or valid to him and thus lead to me you know I, I respect that a lot I hope that someone might think that of me if they're not in a band and they're like they get it you know they get what I'm doing there or something like that um, just acknowledging or having some kind of respect level of respect for what I can do with what I have right you want respect even if they don't like your music right? it doesn't bother me if someone doesn't like it at all because um, obviously taste is subjective and there's plenty of things I don't like that I would have the same reaction to but just that little head nod, you know, that means a lot. Right. No, definitely. I mean, what's, I mean, I feel like also you guys have toured with so many kinds of bands. Like, I remember, I think last time I saw you guys, you guys were open, that Hot Water Music Tour. Yeah. I mean, which obviously is, is probably different than your typical fan base, maybe. And like, um, I don't know, like how, what's the reaction li- like, as far as like playing for people maybe who aren't familiar with you, do you feel like it, it's like an acquired takes, it takes people time or people like, I just heard of you guys and it's amazing. Cause I do feel like it is like a very kind of cerebral thing. It's not just like a three chord song about girls. Like it right. is not maybe we have a lot more co- chords, but we're still singing about girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think, uh, it used to be very polarizing when we would, when we were starting out and doing tours, we would support even bands like Thursday who I think we're in a very similar uh, scene with or in the same vein, uh, people don't people don't uh, attach very quickly. But then we would do other tours where I would think that that wouldn't happen. Like we did a tour with Alexis on Fire and Trash Talk. And um, a lot of kids that were there at the time for Trash Talk responded well to our band. And I was like, that's really weird. That's not a parallel I would ever draw. I'm gl- those are my friends and I'm really glad that it's happening but I didn't see it happening so I think almost I think there's something about our band at face value that some people like and then uh, the people who like it in a more cerebral way you have to get there you know maybe they don't like it the first time and it's something that they have to grow on or whatever but uh I mean, yeah, generally anything you like the first time doesn't last, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like all my favorite records when I first heard it, I was like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about it, but that's true. The more you let it steep, like, you get it. Totally. And I think uh, we have both kinds of people. The kind of people who are going to like it now and forget it in a couple years. And we have people who didn't care a couple years ago and are about it now. So it's cool. It's interesting. Um, I don't want to generalize it too much because I don't know what people think about it. Um, but I think people think that there are those layers to our band and I think that's also why it's worked to date. For sure. But it's also the scene, the community that you're in is like, 
youth oriented and it is like extremely transient like it, in a way like most of the kids i knew know going to shows especially at my age like they don't know who lot dispute is they don't know current punk bands right. like i feel like it is like a lot of people use punk or whatever you want to call those like the stage in their life where they like attach to an identity before they move on to something else for sure i like to call um i like to call people ex-punks when i go to sh- like i went to the promise ring reunion last year uh-huh. and there was a lot of people there in- who had just come from work you can tell like yeah. wearing button-up shirts and stuff and those are ex-punks to me like totally they were, they were around when the promise ring was around they come out of the woodwork now to see a band that they remember but there's all these bands now that they probably would like and they're just not invested and they have normal lives and i'm not knocking it no no, not at all in a in a lot of ways i wish i had that (laughs) but uh if you were the uh, if you had that you would want this though i'm sure i guarantee you You, you're like me you will never be happy (laughs) (laughs) but uh, no i but i totally agree with what you're saying because like i had a roommate who had a male roommate dan who's awesome dude like he had a very serious job and he we grew up in cleveland went to hardcore shows and then he was totally into music, but like, yeah, it's like you can have both of those things. Like, it's not judgmental if that you're not like making this your life, but I think it's cool that to still appreciate that stuff. Yeah, as an adult. Uh, yeah, at some point in your adolescence, you have to make that call if you want to keep doing it. You know, and most people don't because that's a weird thing to be doing. You know. <laughs> yeah. I interviewed Jeremy from Touche a few months ago, and we were sort of talking about something similar, and he said something to me that, like, really, it's like, really resonant, and re- I never thought about this way. He was like, he was like, yeah, getting into punk rock kind of means, like, you're never going to really grow up, like, in a way. He's like, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Like, I got into it, and it's like, it's a very weird thing, because I feel like there aren't a lot of other hobbies or whatever that you get into that, like, put you in that space. If for like a kind of like trajectory, I don't well, know. You what I'm trying to general, say. I feel like I'm not really articulating <laughs> this. Well, yeah. Not that it's a juvenile thing, but that it is like it is something that like just sticks with people. Like, because look, I mean, this is where we are. I don't know. Well, you have to to be like successful as as a music. I mean, you have to retain that kind of just fucking I don't care attitude, like of a teenager, you know. And like, and that's what your public wants too. Like, they want you to prolong your adolescence as long as you can. You know, that's why bands, you know, nobody buys it after bands turn, you know, forty or whatever. Right, right. I mean, but do you feel like it's that's not a thing exclusive to punk rock? Do you think it's just, yeah? I think it's kind of music in general. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the behavior associated with it. You know, like, what if fucking musicians didn't act up? People would they would turn to uh, NFL stars or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you're expected to act up. You're expected to act that. You're expected to act like a big baby. Because that's what everybody wants to do, you know? It's, a, it's almost their outlet through you as an, yeah. as an audience member. Like, they had member. to grow up and put on a tie, and like, right. but, you, but you didn't have to, you know? It's the old, you know, I'd, you know everybody either wants to f- fuck you or be you. <laughs> I, don't, I wish that either of those were true <laughs> yeah, you, I've, you've not seen the audience at United Nations show a lot of dudes but yeah I mean I think I do think it's it's interesting uh, just I don't know that that just I, it kind of stuck with me for some reason I was like yeah I never really thought about that I still self identify as a kid even just uh, I was at the art museum before I came over here 
and security i felt like they were eyeing me every time i'd walk past them <laughs> and like i had my sleeves rolled up and i just got tattooed this week and i was like an, another one and i was like maybe that's what like they think it's weird that i have like a really fresh tattoo like maybe you're also just using think- my moma card so you maybe you're worried you're gonna get busted <laughs> Guilty. and uh <laughs> i just felt like every adult there thought i was shady and i was like whatever i'm just some kid and then i like took a step back in my brain i'm, like, I'm 25 i'm not a kid I'm, like, pretty well self-sufficient, got my shit together a lot more than a lot of people that I know or have met in this world. And I'm like, at what point do I start self-identifying as an adult? I guess as as an adult with two small children, I can tell you that that feeling will always kind of be in the back of your head. The same way that getting carded does is when you go to buy liquor long after you've turned 21 your heart rate goes up yeah. a little bit like <laughs> shit i'm about to get in trouble but I'm not. but there definitely comes a point when you kind of look around and, and depressed and go like oh i'm not people people aren't looking at me anymore people are not scared of me <laughs> and then it's kind of a bummer it's kind of like reassuring and relaxing but you're like fuck when i go to the airport <laughs> i try to wear long sleeve button up shirts sometimes i wear a tie i'm trying to be like the guy that fully blends in (laughs) and this used to come out of some i mean i deemed it necessity but i don't think it's true because i would always feel like i would get randomly searched and i not that i had anything that was going to be problematic but sometimes i just don't want to deal with that shit right there so i'll be like i'm gonna look like the most upstanding citizen adult young adult like business guy i don't know I had a briefcase for a while that I used to keep uh, paintbrushes and, and paints in. And it was intentionally in this container so people would think, like, there's a young professional riding the train or whatever. Just so people would not think anything of me. I don't know. It was a weird... But there's uh, a smell on you, man, because I remember... <laughs> they can I, still tell. I swear, when I used to go home, like, after I went away to, like... To art school and then to like I was playing in bands and like I would go home and want to hang out with my buddies I grew up in a small town and there was this one like lame fucking bar that everybody would go to and I swear every time I would go there I would look at myself in the mirror I would try to like dress completely normally because like it's like it was kind of hick you know you could get your ass kicked you know and I just wanted to go have a beer with my pals I didn't want to fucking stand out as some artsy schmuck <laughs> right and I, to me, I looked like totally normal. My hair, I'd get my hair to look normal, I'd wear normal clothes, and I'd go in and immediately, as soon as I walked in the door, somebody would pick me out. Like, what? I don't know what it was, man. Like, what? My, maybe my pants were pegged or something. Like, it was just always like they could smell it on you. That but you do you think that's normal. a real thing or do you think that's just in your head? Do you think everyone feels that way? <gasps> Dude. It definitely was a way, real. It was Adam feels that way. I would be with five other dudes, and I was always <laughs> yeah. the one that got no, that's, picked out. That's true. I mean, that reminds me. Like me and Adam were talking on the way here. Like I was like, I don't, I how you like become an adult, and I was like, I dress, wear the same clothes, like I write about the same, I write about no effects, I write about the same bands. I, I'm not like unlike you, like I'm not married, I don't have kids. It's like, and it's like weird to be like I'm 34. Like how did this? Like nothing has. <laughs> Things have changed, like, I would hope, like, emotionally, and I feel like I have a better perspective on things, but in some ways, it just, like, it feels the same. Like, I'm reading this book by Jack Hornfield about Buddhism, he's like, he's like, you know, it's because, like, your body changes, but, like, your mind doesn't. He's like, old people don't even really feel old, because, like, it's, your mind, it's, like, all about, right? it's, it's, I don't know, it's just something that's really blew me, blew me away. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. You still think you're a fucking young buck. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, and then but if I go out drinking the next day, I'm like, why can I not like move? Why doesn't my brain work? Like, and you're always like, this is not going to happen to me. Like, I'm different. Yeah, like I'm not going to die. I'm not going to get. And it's like, nope, you are. You're. It's coming for all of us. Uh, Do you think about death a lot, Adam? No. Um, it's definitely like, uh. I don't know if you had this, but we were talking last night about going to therapists for the first time. Both of the therapists that I saw for the first time uh, recently, that's like the, one of the first things they ask you. And that's like a, such a, Do you think about a weird, loaded ask? question, I feel. By wow. the way, I'm going to charge you $500 for coming <laughs> in here. But go ahead. I'm just going to call Lucas. And <laughs> he'll be my therapist. We'll talk about The Simpsons. Yeah. That was our agreement last night. Uh, I don't think about death at all. Because I don't care. <laughs> like, I, think I got stuff it. to do. Honestly, that's, uh, I think um, when I was younger and didn't understand how to deal with anything, but particularly depression, uh, I think I'd, I would think about death or just like bad things, bad vibes all the time. Now, I was just like, I have shit to do. I can't be bothered to think about anything. I have to think about what ad, like magazine ad I have to turn in today. Or, like, what format this poster is supposed to be at. Stupid shit, but I'm just too busy. And it's almost, you know, in a way, it's a bad thing to be too busy to w- worry. But uh, <laughs> no way. I, I can't be bothered. A, that's I, think that's, I think that's a great thing, man. A hundred percent. And then by the time I'm done being busy, I want to do something. Like, I'll go bowling. <laughs> straight edge. <laughs> we talked about that last night, too. That's my, the, as a straight edge person, that's my outlet is go bowling. <laughs> skinheads bowling yeah <laughs> no i think it's good i think it's good i mean there's you're not going to change anything by fixating on it so like right. why not use it as a motivate and like be productive yeah like that's yeah, all man. there is at the end is like that's all you're gonna leave behind yeah, i mean so the plan is the destroyed. people that get the most upset about shit are the people that don't have anything else to, to do yeah even in my own um history the, the times where I'm the most upset are the times where I don't have anything else to do but be upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally true. That's interesting. But I think you should be doing something that, like, you want to be doing. Like, if you're doing some shitty job that you fucking hate, right. that's, that's different true. than being busy doing art or making sure. music. Even though, those, even though those jobs, like, have plenty of monotonous work yeah. with it, like, at least it's, like, in the wheelhouse of something that you're passionate about, which I think is important. Absolutely. Like, like I said, I've... Well, I've been doing a lot of advertisement design going up to leading up to this record um because we with it we're also starting our own record label and I've defaulted to be doing a lot more work than I'm used to. So, just even coming up with like a poster for a record store uh is work that I wouldn't seek out as a designer. Uh it's boring. It's plug and play at this point for me. It, it's, um but because it's related to this greater scheme that is our band or that is the design uh, art, whatever I make, uh, I don't mind it so much. Yeah. I, I mean, you probably, the thing I struggle with, you probably do too, is like you probably do a lot of art and a lot of time goes into stuff that doesn't make money. So I feel like for me, my oh, yeah. thing is always like dividing, like I'm doing all this thing. This stuff isn't going to make any money, but I love doing it this thing I have to do because like I need money to pay my rent and finding that division. And sometimes 
that can be sort of difficult too because I'm like I'm so excited and I'm like oh wait this is all the sort of labor of love thing yeah but maybe down the road something will happen but I feel like that's always in the back of my mind I've been definitely on the uh down the road mentality lately (laughs) doing a lot of work that um hopefully we'll someday see some kind of return although that's not why I'm doing it exactly uh it would be nice because of the time that I've spent when I could have been doing commercial work or I've been could have been doing freelance or something that you know buys my groceries which is something you you do out of necessity but also the I've been pretty lucky to um write out the career of drawing silly shit for bands um, <laughs> totally it's a great but that, that <laughs> but that's because like you're good at it and also because like because you put yourself in that position like when we did that UN tour like we didn't really know each other before then right and then like eventually like you say like hey can you do the bio for my new record it's like sure I feel like that is the way to do stuff versus like especially in the music industry like some people are like you want to go to this networking event where you and I went Oof. to one of these things once and it was literally like someone dragged me there it was one of the worst things i've ever done where it's like someone comes up like what do you do here's my card yeah. like but and it's so like i was like this i networking shouldn't feel that way networking is just hanging out and being cool yeah. and that's how <laughs> good things happen absolutely i've definitely gotten most most of the clients that i get that are that will be return clients are people who i've toured with or uh even just met from the world that is playing shows yeah no it's really true i mean i think it's true in lots of businesses though you yeah know? i'm like sure people, it is. probably i'm sure like it is the, you know a referral or whatever a reference really counts for a lot but just meeting people face to face but i do think that like touring is a unique circumstance in the sense you're around people you don't know at all like if you're on tour with another band or someone else for long periods of time you can really like get to know someone really well in a short period oh, of yeah. time on the road in different situations you share experiences like I barely knew Adam, and then we went to, like, Disney World together and had this, like, <laughs> crazy adventure. Like, I feel like that kind of stuff is, like, builds bonds. Maybe it just maybe it just accelerates it. I think it accelerates it because you think you if you work a 9 to 5, you have 8 hours a day to spend maximum with, a per, with another person at work. But when you're on tour, it's 24 hours a day. The duration of your trip, you know, in close quarters you couldn't if if you're in an instance where you're on tour with somebody and you don't like them it's too late you, you got to deal with it you got to yeah. put up with it yeah uh so yeah you just are getting your time in, in at a much faster rate whether that is a good thing or a bad thing usually and hopefully a good thing and then you can compensate when you're not on tour like by staying home all day and not talking to anyone <laughs> yes <laughs> i like that spin on it and i'm gonna start to use that as my excuse for why i don't leave my apartment ever. <laughs> And I have the same thing you do where like someone will call me at like four in the afternoon like hello and they're like are you sick I'm like no I haven't talked to anyone today yeah did you just wake up no I've been awake since eight yeah. o'clock but I just yeah, haven't, haven't spoken out loud yeah like I went to yoga and did a lot of deep breathing and then I sat here all day and listened to records and podcasts that's pretty hilarious it's true it is true I mean. But I mean, but I do feel like sometimes I do miss like the social element of like going into an office, like talking to people, like having those kinds of interactions. Like I think socially, like it is good sometimes to get out of well, the Well, it's easy to romanticize the water cooler. Hey, we really <laughs> right, like to right, go and right, work right, and talk to some right. people. And in fact, but the, and what's implied is like, then you have like some boss you hate, like you don't romanticize yeah. that. Like you don't <laughs> romanticize all the shit that goes along with it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, human interaction is definitely, uh, 
extremely important. For some people more than others, though, I think. Yeah. I say work at home, then do a podcast <laughs> where you can just talk to people for an hour right. and then go back home. Dude, that sounds like a perfect life. Sounds perfect. <laughs> I think that's exactly... I think now you're idealizing that life. It, no. <laughs> there definitely are... It, it comes with its own struggles. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's I think that's cool. So what, um, so what are you working on, like... Um, you're selling selling art through your web store. I tried, man. Yeah, that's actually that's been pretty shot for the last like year. Um, because I would do prints of paintings that I did, which are easy enough, uh, and kids would buy them, and it was cool. Then I started to think about it in a different way, like what can I paint that kids would buy, which is a shit mentality to have. I wasn't having fun doing it anymore, and. Uh, eventually, even if I was selling them, that would plateau and I would be like, all right, well now I'm back at square one. Uh, and then I'd start painting stuff that I wanted to paint that maybe people don't care about. Uh, I did a lot of wrestling fan art last year that I know that people just didn't care. And I don't, that was gratifying to me as a fan. I was like, this is cool. I'll draw Macho Man all day, every day. And if nobody buys it, I don't care because he's cool. (laughs) And so then now I'm at this stage, I've gone through the selling out and I've gone through the uh, (laughs) redemption and now I'm just kind of back at square one where I'm like, I'm doing some stuff and if you like it, it's there and sometimes people buy it and it's not self-sustaining in any way. Uh, If the band stopped tomorrow, I'd have to get a real job, (laughs) you know, like can't ride that out um, on its own merits. But it's, but like I said much earlier, it's become my hobby where the band has become my focus. And uh, if I think about it as a hobby and not my job, I still get the pleasure out of it that I've always gotten. So that's what I want from it anyway. Um, but you're asking like, about the store. Yeah, I do that, I guess. <laughs> People, I'm store. Uh, I just have a big cartel. It's... Adam X Vass at big cart or dot bigcartel.com. But it's all my prints are just in a box under my bed and the people at the post office know me by name. I just go and just do it all myself. Uh it's kind of fun in a way. And uh going back to not leaving, sometimes the people the only people I'll talk to in a day are the people at the post office. Really? It's kind of a weird small town interaction now. <laughs> Like, talk about the weather, <laughs> the people at the post office who are really friendly and have uh, Boston accents, which I like a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to develop myself by just uh, going into the, that, <laughs> just going to the post office enough that I'll pick up on it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's become a labor of love at this point, the whole store, or just making my art available in a physical way in any form. But that's awesome, I feel like, just to have an outlet like that, whether people buy it or not. Yeah, definitely. It's... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. It's gratifying to know that, you know, when somebody orders your piece, that yeah, they're buying because they want it. Man. When it when it started, it was like I would just post pictures on on a blog. When people would be like, "Hey, do you have any prints of this?" I'm like, "I don't know." Like, <laughs> I never even thought about that as a thing. And then I saw a lot of pe- my like contemporaries. I guess that's a funny word. I've never used it. Uh, You're growing pe- up. People who are also oh. my age and draw pictures doing that like making stores and 
whatever. It's like, oh, that's a thing that people do. I can just do it. And uh, I did it. It's okay. I'm not in love with it. It's kind of the dark side almost of what I like to do. <laughs> the commercialization of just drawing a picture for fun. Well, it's like, you know, as long as you're doing it for fun first, you know, people people can tell. You know, like you said, when you were trying to second guess what they were going to buy, it wasn't fun for you. And you know what? They could probably tell. Right. It's amazing. I mean, that's the same way with music. You know? Yeah, for it's sure. True. It's like, I had just, it's funny because just yesterday, one of my interns here, he said, you know, I got to, I can't intern anymore. I got to go, I, I got to go make some money. He goes, and I really got to focus on my band, man. And he's like, and he's like, you know, so like, do you have any tips for me, <laughs> the band? Like, and I go, dude, it was a different era when I was, you know, making it, so to speak. You know, he, he wanted to know like what he could do to make it. And I was like, I go, I go, there's only one piece of advice I can give you. You, you should be doing it whether or not there's a fucking paycheck at the end. Like if you're doing it because you love it, because you have to, because you love music, then that's you have to be doing that in in the first place otherwise it's not going to happen you can't for be sure. doing it and i think like, that's true for all I mean, like literally feel like we're like three generations of people doing similar things yeah. i feel like that is like the red thread through it all because i mean at the end of the day people can tell if you're if you're not driven you know that's what art is it's about it's about being genuine and for some reason it's easy to tell when people aren't genuine for sure. The kids know, man. Sixth <laughs> sense. So what should scene. I do, Adam? How do I, what should I do? How do I be successful? Be real, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Define success first. That's a problem. That's a thing. <laughs> um, You're pretty successful, Jonah. You get to sleep in, <laughs> go to shows. That's most kids' dream. That's pretty yeah, fun. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Man, I feel like I should be paying you guys for therapy today. <laughs> Can you guys hear? Does that sound good in stereo? What do you mean in stereo? You only have one mic. All right. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could turn up our sound- mics and split them left and right and do some kind of stereo thing. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's try this again. Why I like this? I like this. This is perfect. This is the outro. Uh, if anyone's still listening, <laughs> <laughs> that was Adam Vass, uh, who plays in La Dispute. Check out their new record, Rooms of the House. Watch them on tour. Check out Adam's art. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on Twitter. Just love Adam Vass. He is an Why amazing dude. Why aren't Twitter and Instagram the same damn thing? Well, I mean, I do feel like. Because dad, for, I do feel like for for an artist, Instagram makes more sense, and I do feel like Adam uses his Twitter a lot to like drive stuff to his Instagram. I think it's easier to post like art and images through Instagram. But you can put images on Twitter. Yeah, but they're like a little tiny little box, and you have to click on it separately. I feel like it's a little bit more. See, I do not do Instagram because I I rode a horse here, and and <laughs> no. I, I and I don't I don't know what the social security thing is, but like. If I go on Instagram, am I going to be going into like a K-hole of just staring at people's crap? Like, is that... Dude, no, but... It depends on how you use it. If you were on Instagram, it would just be photos of your kids, I feel like. And like, you don't want strangers seeing that. So you'd make it private. And then what's the point? I mean, my Instagram is private. So what's the point? It's just because I don't have kids. Uh. So I have a variety of things like, uh, like the omelet I made. Like super exciting stuff. 
I would enjoy seeing the omelet you made. But you can follow me. Are you supposed and to not post, post that on Facebook? Yeah. There was, a, there was an article th- this week, um, a very, very wonderful uh, casting director and media coach named Barbara Barna posted this link on Facebook about how uh, the free ride is over with Facebook and getting people to um, follow you and how many friends and stuff you have. And, you ha- you, and now the best thing to do is an old school blog. You know, start yeah. doing a live journal again. Been, start doing that. Maybe we should take some of this advice and put it on our site. Have you heard that Facebook just bought the Oculus Rift? They did. And people are losing their minds about it. Warren Ellis said, um, wow, Facebook bought an application where someone glued a computer screen to the inside of a diving mask. Mm, I don't know, man. Have you seen it? Have you done it? I haven't never. I've actually never used it, but I've read a lot about it and watched videos of it. And it seems like people are pretty divided about whether Facebook buying it is good or bad. If they leave them alone, I guess it's good because I kind of think that they will. Do they leave Instagram alone? Yeah. Okay. They just want to own it. But the idea is is like if you've seen it, like you get like an omnidirectional treadmill, you get this thing, and like there's videos of people doing it, especially people doing it like drunk or on drugs, where like they really think like it's real. Like roller coasters and people are freaking out. There's like apps where you get beheaded. Like I think it is. It's a transition step. Like before, it's just in our brains. Virtual reality. Uh, or following reality. on on Boing Boing, and they, you know, we're talking about how this could have been Oculus could have been a really great thing for games, but now Facebook buying it, it doesn't seem. Well, that's the thing, though. Yes, but it could have way more applications than just games with the Facebook money behind it. It could be integrated into like every aspect of your life. Every single aspect. It could be happening right now. This could be a simulation. If you're familiar with simulation theory. We could be recording this podcast on a video and then sending it to you. And you could be, it would be as if you're sitting in the room with us. Or this reality could just be some app someone created and forgot about and left running. And it's all just ones and zeros. The whole world's a hologram. (laughs) Well, there's a popular, uh, not that popular, but popular with me, a sci-fi writer that I won't go into anything beyond this. The last book I read by him, there was a really interesting part where this advanced civilization runs simulations to do, you know, to kind of figure out everything in advance. Like anytime they're going to like make contact with a civilization, they'll literally model the entire, because their computers are so powerful. They'll model the entire civilization almost down to the individual. And then they'll, you know, they'll run the simulation on it, like whether they're going to make contact or whatever, blah, 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 just to see how it affects. But one of the things that once they've made the sim, because it's AI and they, and they exist as life forms now, they have to leave it running. Yeah. Uh, well, they found ones and zeros. <laughs> That's there's a lot. Otherwise, uh, it would be murdering an entire planet. So a lot of people think that that not a lot of people, but that's like a fringe like uh, theory and reality. Like, and, and then they found simulation. because and then they found like ones and zeros in like our DNA recently. Like at like the core of our DNA, there is like a pattern that looks like computer code. Who knows? Wherever in the multiverse you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> if the internet exists, check us out on Twitter at Going you Off Track. Three people who are still listening. Whether you're listening, <laughs> to, to, yeah. 
Well, they listen to the us or the parallel versions of us that exist in different planes of reality. Go to Facebook.com going off track or whatever Facebook is called in your reality. Um, Twitter going off track. Check out our website if you're not already plugged into it through your brain or your Google Glass. And... Uh, listen to us every Wednesday. Right here on Earth Prime. Yes. Sorry, Adam Vass. I apologize <laughs> for where this ended up going. Check out Rooms of the House, Light Dispute. It's awesome. Talk to you soon. Hold up. 